Welcome back. We've been talking a lot in the last uh, few hours about uh, events unfolding in Ukraine this morning there. It's uh, about seven o'clock in the morning in Kiev right now. Uh, first, Vladimir Putin announcing a military operation in that country, uh, along with a series of warnings, um, saying that he's warning other countries that any attempt to interfere with Russian action would lead to, quote, consequences they have never seen. Uh, we've also seen reports of explosions in cities across uh, Ukraine tonight, including the capital, Kiev. Uh, reports of gunfights uh, near the main airport. Again, those are all need to be uh, fully confirmed, but also reports of explosions in Kharkiv, which which is the second largest city in the country, as well as in Odessa, an important port town on the Black Sea and Mariupol, amongst others. Uh, we do have a statement this evening from the Prime Minister, who says Canada condemns in the strongest possible terms Russia's egregious attack on Ukraine. Uh, those unprovoked actions are a clear further violation of Ukraine's sovereignty and territorial integrity and of Russia's obligations under international law and the Charter of the UN. Uh, we did speak to the head of the Ukrainian Canada Congress earlier, who spoke of uh, not being entirely shocked that this day had come, but certainly the concern amongst Canada's very large Ukrainian-Canadian community uh, is one of fear tonight, certainly one of concern about what will unfold there, uh, and one of, uh, of of shock in some senses, to some extent, that this has in fact happened. Uh, that being said, we do know there will be a G7 meeting tomorrow uh, that Prime Minister Trudeau, Joe Biden, will be involved in to try to coordinate uh, response to what has happened in the last uh, few hours in Ukraine. Um, and the president of Ukraine tonight or this morning telling the nation to stay calm, stay home, uh, and that he has spoken to Joe Biden and international support and international backing is there. Uh, we'll see what that means in practice as the day goes on. Well, earlier, uh, when before this had all unfolded, we were going to have a very interesting conversation about disinformation. And it is fitting because Russia, of course, over the past many years have used disinformation as a tactic, as a very effective uh, military and social tactic uh, around the world. Uh, we saw it certainly during the 2016 election in the U.S. Uh, we've certainly seen it in Ukraine over the years. I saw it myself when I was in Ukraine in 2014 uh, when fighting broke out, at least when rebel, uh, back, rebel forces backed by Russia took over those two provinces uh, in the east, which they still hold uh, today, uh, Donetsk and Luhansk. Uh, joining me now, though, is Jagras Hodson. She's the Canada Research Chair for Digital Communication for the Public Interest and Associate Professor at Royal Roads uh, University and an expert in social media and disinformation. Thanks so much for being here on what has been a very fluid and momentous evening, uh, uh, Jagras. Yeah. Thank you for having uh, me, yes. It is. I mean, one of the things that's always been talked about, and I was talking to the author of a book called How to Talk to a Science Denier yesterday, Lee McIntyre, about information versus disinformation and how misinformation is, is, a, is a mistake and disinformation is a, is a tactic, is a lie. Um, I'm just wondering, from your perspective, we've seen a lot more of it. It feels like we've seen a lot more of it and that it's been weaponized in a way that perhaps you know, we never would have imagined back in the days of sort of, you know, the, the airdrops of pamphlets you know, and that sort of stuff. Right. I mean, that's a really interesting point. I mean, we don't know for sure whether or not there's objectively more, right? We have no studies that, that will say that or prove that definitively. But what we can say is that, you know, it never used to be the case that disinformation coming from another country, uh, especially another country that didn't speak the same language. So, for example, Russia uh, could make it all the way here and influence politics and influence news and influence people's opinions in the way that it has. And so what we do know is that the speed of misinformation and disinformation and the rate at which it travels around the world has increased. And that comes in tandem with just information all over increasing because you know, we all get a chance to use these great participatory media technologies to post whatever we want, right? Um, and so that can often be good information, 
but uh, it can often lead to the spread of quite damaging information. And sometimes we're spreading information on behalf of people who um, are trying to destabilize democracy, for example. The willing conduits, for instance, I, I think um, Lee McIntyre was referring to one specific vaccine uh, post that was spread widely. I mean, viral is a perfectly legitimate term, isn't it, for, for some of what we see um, that was was boiled down to, I think, 16 accounts originally that this emerged yeah. from just a few accounts. Uh, t- talk to me about that. How does the, I mean, as sort of an innocent user of Facebook over the years and, and recognizing what it can do, how does that happen? Well, I mean, that's a really great question. And so there's two mechanisms behind this. And virality uh, or posts going viral is something that was studied long before COVID, right? Because, but it becomes very important in a time when we're trying to get accurate health information. And Lee was right. I think there were about 12 main influencers that were responsible for spreading the bulk of COVID misinformation. So these are people that have a very large following sometimes. Um, they're people who um, you know, may be an expert in one area, but not necessarily an expert in the area that they are, are talking about. And I think then what happens is we see these people that have really large followings themselves, and we think that that is then um, a, a mechanism by which we can judge their credibility, right? So if we see somebody who has, you know, 100,000 followers or a million followers, we think, oh, well, that person, you know, must be, you know, must know what they're talking about. They have so many followers. And so we don't have the time, right, to fact check everything ourselves. So we use their popularity as a proxy. And then the other mechanism that happens is um, our, you know, our, our sort of, Reptile brains, as it were, or, or that emotional drive, right? When, when something is really scary or shocking or um, even like cute and cuddly, it, it sets off these emotional responses in our brain, which make us more likely to share. So you actually find um, when, when you look at the research, for example, connections between um, cute animal photos and then sites that then bring people in using those cute photos, but then on the site spread misinformation about a wide variety of topics. Like that's you know, kind of crazy. Uh, but people also, of course, are more likely to spread this stuff when they're freaked out. And again, um, you know, the latest geopolitical situation or um, you know, things like COVID, which we're worried could harm us, are perfect breeding grounds for the spread of misinformation and disinformation. That's a really interesting point, because obviously Russia has always used disinformation, specifically in the Ukraine conflict, has often used uh, misinformation or disinformation within Ukraine itself. But we've seen now, I believe, more of it uh, being spread worldwide. In other words, to try to bring uh, people over to Russia's side of the story. And we've already seen it online uh, in the last you know weeks or so. How does a country weaponize information that way um and 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 how do they how do they how are they able to use something you put it put it in at the beginning of the conversation it's not even the same language uh and somehow there's been an ability to weaponize information within facebook groups in america within you know groups here even um it is how does that happen yeah so that's a specific part of information studies that concerns what we call information operations And information operations is the deliberate wielding of um, sometimes false, um, sometimes just misleading, sometimes partial information um, in an effort to create sort of political gain or or geopolitical gain. And uh, Russia has become known uh, in recent years for, for being very good at this because they have developed uh, entire teams of people whose job it is, is to, you know, to basically go on and, um, you know, create 
what what we call um, in public relations sort of the astroturfing accounts. So so these are these are accounts on Facebook um, pages, sometimes websites that seem to come from local grassroots movement, but are actually run by um, people that have a, a completely other agenda in mind. And astroturfing isn't just something that's done, um, you know, by people looking to destabilize other countries. Sometimes astroturfing is done in the name of, uh, you know, a company um, creating a grassroots movement to support, um, you know, investing in their in their product or or those sorts of things. So so it's used on in many different ways. But but what it involves is getting many different people to pose as citizens and sort of create that movement. And then once you're there, you can do things like buy followers or or create bots to retweet you to amplify what you're doing. And then it looks like you're getting a bunch of retweets and that creates engagement, uh, which helps to drive some of the algorithmic filtering that's done on these sites and, and make the messages seem more popular than they are. And then through that, messages actually do become popular because popularity begets more popularity. And, you know, we go around and around. I'm speaking with Jagras Hodson, the Canada Research Chair for Digital Communication for the Public Interest and Associate Professor at Royal Roads University in Victoria. Given the polarization that we've seen, uh, specifically around stuff such as vaccines, what always surprises me now is that what something that I, when I was growing up during the Cold War, for instance, would have been such a black and white issue between, you know, good and bad, East versus West, Soviet, you know, Soviet bloc versus America, has now become something that is in fact debated along polarized political lines, even within America itself. Would you expect to see? a lot more disinformation pouring out now around this uh, this military activity we're seeing in Ukraine tonight? I mean, I, I'm not an expert in uh, in the situation that is going on right now um, in the Ukraine, but uh, it seems to me that, that like with uh, you know, many other hot-button topics, this one is rife with controversy, and those are the topics that tend to attract the most uh, misinformation. And there seems to be, uh, to me, <laughs> probably a lot to gain from disinformation also in this sphere. So, so I would hazard a guess that we should probably be on high alert right now for uh, disinformation and misinformation. And that means we got to start double and triple checking all the stories that we're hearing about this. Back with Jagras Hodson, Canada Research Chair for Digital Communication for the Public Interest and Associate Professor at Royal Roads University. We've been talking about disinformation, of course, with what's happening in Ukraine tonight. We've been talking a bit about that as well. Um, I wanted to ask you this because this is always really important. Even, you know, I, I read a lot of news and even every once in a while I get caught out by something that isn't true. Uh, or something that was posted ages ago that's been repurposed for reasons that are, you know, either nefarious or not. What do you recommend to people out there who want to guard themselves against either sharing or consuming too much bad information? That's a great question. And it's a tough one, you know, because these technologies are really optimized to keep us sort of clicking and sharing and liking uh, without thinking too hard about it, right? If you think too hard about it, then you're taking too long to click on the the whatever. So um, one of the things that I tell people to do automatically is to breathe and to stop. Um, So if you feel something that's particularly if it's arousing a strong emotion in you, uh, particularly anger or fear, but like, you know, as we mentioned before, it could also be, oh, man, that's so cute, right? I want to share this thing. As soon as you feel that strong emotion, you need to stop because that's a sign that you should do some double checking before you click because these are the triggers that make us click without thinking. And so that's just an internal sign for you. Okay, I'm going to take a breath 
and I'm going to start to look a little bit more closely at this. Now, a lot of the misinformation and disinformation that we saw, say, around you know COVID and uh, grocery stores running out of food, um, were things like pictures that were taken years ago in a different context, but then shared as though they were coming from grocery stores now, right? And that's a really insidious type of disinformation. So something that looks like it could be true, it looks like it's a photo, but it is a photo that was taken out of another context. So what you need to do first thing after you breathe and you stop, you realize this is a trigger for you, is start to look. You can do an image search on Google to find out, is this image new? Was it posted, in fact, a few years ago around something you know, that was completely different? What is this from? And you can look at that. You can look at who shared the information. Where does this information originally come from? Does it come from um, you know, a news outlet that is particularly trustworthy? Or does it come you know, from somebody's blog, right? What are their expertise? Yeah, somebody might be an expert in... Uh, medicine, but maybe they shouldn't be talking about the Ukraine, right? Or somebody might be a, an expert in politics, but maybe they shouldn't be talking about, about medicine. So, so you need to then check those things too. And um, only once you've sort of followed up a little bit on the content should you feel comfortable sharing it. And this really goes against how we're used to using uh, these technologies. So social media, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, um, Instagram, we don't usually go to all that trouble. But right now, in this current environment where we are so uh, threatened by disinformation, um, I think it's a good time to start building in some of those habits to check up on this content before you share. I always find because we sort of live in information silos these days, even those of us who try not to live in information silos end up in them to some extent. You know, we have friends who think alike. We have family who think fairly similarly to us. One of the things I've always found you have to be the most careful of is, is a, something that look that appeals to the, your sort of appeals to your emotions in a really strong way. So something that confirms something you believe to be true. So, for example, if I was someone who really believed that grocery stores were, were empty and I really wanted to prove to everyone that I'd been right all along about these empty grocery store shelves, I'm going to retweet that photo faster than than anybody else. And that's where you have to be aware. Yes, absolutely right. Um, so in addition to content that arouses a strong emotion in you, yeah, you really want to think about, do I want to share this because I think I'm right or it proves a point that I want to make? And then, yes, do check yourself and go and do extra research. Make sure what you are sharing is actually true. Because, I mean, think about it this way. If you are sharing something to make an argument uh, and what you are sharing turns out to be false, you've not made a very good argument for your cause, right? Uh, but but you're, you're absolutely right. Our, our critical thinking tends to drop off when we think that we're right and we think that people agree with us. So that is a good cue, too, that you need to go in and you need to check even harder. Well, exactly. So, so I mean, I mean, I guess in a nutshell, really, what you're asking people to do is just, you know, get out of that sort of death scroll, as we call it, when you're starting to really get into something and just take a deep breath. And are there any? Tra I mean, you mentioned Google Images, which is a really good one if you want to know whether an image works or not. Are there any other tricks to making sure? I mean, other than the sources, but is there any sort of phraseology or wording that you tend to see a lot in 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 posts that are that sort of ring alarm bells that these are probably not uh, not to be trusted? Um, yeah, I, th I think that's a really good question. And I would say that you're looking for um, really emotional terms of phrase, right? So, so things sometimes, you know, all caps is a good a giveaway, although, although we don't see that as often now that people are getting more sophisticated. But yeah, anything that arouses your sense of danger or, or, or risk or anger, so angry words or, or you know, words that, that suggest that, you know, maybe there's a threat coming, 
um, you know, the use of exclamation points, of course, and those sorts of things. Um, and then um, also words that maybe convince you that time is of the essence, so that you have know, something that you must share right now or, or quickly um, because you really need to have this information, you know, to protect yourself, for example. Um, and I, I, it's interesting because these are actually tricks that you're probably familiar with, Ben, because they've been used in marketing for years, right? Like, buy now, exclamation point, you know, don't miss out. You're, you know, you're, you're waiting on people's fears and missing out. And that's how they're used in marketing, but they're used a little more subtly in spreading misinformation. But you'll see the same tricks. Like, we're building on people's fear of either, you know, something happening to them or their families or maybe their fear of being left out of a conversation, or you'll see it building on anger a lot. So, Look for it, particularly in, in any hot button issues or controversial issues, because that is if somebody's going to try an information operations tactic, they will often start poking at the issues that most divide people. Jagris Hudson, it's been fascinating. Thank you so much for waiting and taking the time to uh, discuss this with us tonight. Very timely, I would say. Well, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure.